Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're about to have the head coach of the Tennessee Volunteers, Josh Heupel, joining the show in just a matter of minutes, but you made it. There's a lot of things going on this week. There's a lot on your plate, whether it's work, whether it's the family, whether it's your marriage, your kids, whatever it is. You got a lot going on. Kick them up for about an hour. About to talk some college football, and we're glad to have you a part of it. We talk ball every single day on this platform on the On3 YouTube channel. The hard count is live twice a week, but like I said, content every single day. Spring football, we've talked about it a lot on here. It's on and popping across the country. We got some intel from a couple of specific programs. Miami, we got the Florida Gators, we got Tennessee. A lot of intel allow you allow us to illuminate you for what we have heard from there. Like I said, Josh Heupel about to join the show. Some other news that's going on a little bit later. Did you know there is still one five-star that is left uncommitted? He'll be making his decision tonight. Five-star tight end Deuce Robinson out of Phoenix, Arizona. It's Georgia, it's USC, it's Texas, all registering on the RPM. We're about to have Josh Newberg, national recruiting analyst for On3, about to join the show as well and talk that through. What we can expect where Deuce may be taking his talents, we'll see. And at the end of this thing, college football is a pressure cooker, man. It's not always a hot seat of, okay, well, this coach, if he has a bad year, he's getting fired. But still, there's pressure to perform, pressure to make good on what we expect from our team week in and week out, year in and year out. There's a couple of programs I want to really hone in on that I think have a little bit more pressure than maybe we are all realizing. At the end of this, open up the whole chat, hear from y'all. Got some great questions from y'all on my Twitter, at Judy Pacquiao, and I said, what are some of your concerns heading into spring football around your team? Got some great answers. We have some thoughts around those answers, and we'll get on into it. As I said, though, we got to talk about spring football. We'll start with the Miami Hurricanes. They have kept it all very much so to the vest in terms of what they've done behind closed doors with scrimmages, but we've gotten some intel from the people that cover that program for us here at On3. And to put a defining phrase to it, it's let's just try this whole thing again. Right, Because last year didn't go how you expected it to if you're a Miami Hurricane fan in year one under Mario Cristobal. Josh Gaddis, no longer the OC. Kevin Steele took the Alabama D.C. job. So now, kind of reset things, and they are currently putting in Shannon Dawson's offense. Now, if you're a Miami Hurricane fan, here's the encouraging thing about this. They already, through a few practices, have 85 to 90% of his offense installed. Okay, Just telling you, as a player that's been through spring football, that's not common. You don't usually have that much installed through spring practice. So what this tells me is if it's easy to teach and install, that should equate to easy to process on the field, which equates to potentially allowing your talent to just go make plays, right? Because last year they were, they were bad, right? Like, let's be real. They averaged 19 points a game with Tyler Van Dyke being your quarterback. You would hope he's able to stay more healthy in 2023, but with him being your quarterback, you should score more than 20 points a game. And you expect that in Coral Gables. You should expect that in Coral Gables with TVD behind center. Now, the other encouraging thing, the offensive line got a whole new makeover. Okay, they got three guys that are excited about that sounds like they're going to vie for starting positions. You got Francis Malagoa, 
five-star kid. He's a true freshman, already enrolled, already on campus, getting first-team reps at right tackle. You got Matt Lee going to fit in somewhere on the interior. He's a UCF transfer. Then you got Javian Cohen transferring from Alabama. Sounds like he's going to start for you as well. So offensively, it just sounds like you're going to have a better jumping off point than you had a season ago. You averaged 112 yards a game rushing, 106 in the country. Tyler Van Dyke's getting sacked 8.5% of your snaps. It's tough to win football games with those kind of numbers, y'all. Right? I mean, we, we can all agree those aren't winning numbers. So quarterback play should be more comfortable in Shannon Dawson's offense, both from a scheme standpoint and from a time to throw and operate standpoint with how they have upgraded personnel-wise on the offensive line. We've talked about it here on this show a lot. What you can expect from this offense is, can be defined in two different categories. The first category, air raid concepts. Not an air raid offense, air raid concepts in the pass game. That's Shannon Dawson's background, coming from Houston and his other stops throughout his coaching career. The other category, power run schemes. That's why you went out and upgraded the offensive line. That's why you're playing a Francis Malago at right tackle. That's why you went out and got Matt Lee, Javion Cohen, to be able to be more physical in the trenches. Those of you that watched this show, we had Mario Cristobal on the program, I believe it was maybe a week ago now. Might have been actually on Tuesday. I forget, but you hear what I'm saying. Mario Cristobal joined the show, and he's like, we got to be better in the trenches. That's his background. He is an offensive lineman from Miami. That's what he takes pride in. You can't change where you're from. Geographically, yes, but I mean from a background and from what's bred into you from a football standpoint. He wants to be a physical football team. All the teams have been that way. That's what they're going to be at Miami. That's what they are currently in the process of doing. Now, defensively, it's tough to get too much intel on that side of the football, not because we're not hearing things about guys that are playing well. It's just, hey, it's, it's early. You're still sort of getting your feet under you. You're not having a ton of super physical practices just yet. That'll come a little bit later in the spring. But I will say this. When we talked to Coach Cristobal, before we started recording, he said, I was at Oregon. We went four and eight the first year I was there. But we had two brothers, Noah and Panay Sewell. One played O-line, one played linebacker. Kind of feels like I'm reliving that same scenario right now at Miami. And he was, of course, referring to Francis Malagoa, the right tackle we've been talking about, and then Francisco Malagoa, the linebacker transferred from Washington State. They're excited about what he's bringing to the table. They think he can make them a more physical presence on defense. Still far too early to tell, but they're excited about what he's doing right now. So for Miami, we're trying this whole thing again. New DC, new OC. Let's run it back, see if we can't have a better result in year two. Move on to Florida. For Florida, they just had a scrimmage, and the good people at Gators Online have a ton of intel on their site. Make sure you got a membership there. They're covering Florida better than anybody else in this whole industry. So make sure you're locked in there. The main positive I'm taking away from the scrimmage and from, from what we're hearing out of spring camp is the defensive line, just straight up, you're going to have more depth. Because a season ago, you had Jervin Dexter have 637 snaps on the year as a defensive tackle. Y'all, Jervin Dexter is a great athlete. He's going to make a lot of money in the NFL. But you should not have your D tackle playing 600 plus snaps for you a season. It's not winning football. So what does that tell you? Last year, there was not nearly enough depth-wise to play multiple guys that you felt comfortable with week in and week out. So, with that being said, the intel is encouraging. Like I said, more depth. The cupboard is more stocked. You have multiple units that you feel comfortable playing, which you just have to do in the SEC. 
It's a long season. It's a physical conference. You play Georgia. You play Alabama. You, you play the teams that want to play smash mouth with you. You have to be able to hold up week in and week out. So for Florida, that's the main encouraging thing for me. A lot is still formulating at Florida, but for Florida, I'm encouraged about the defensive line depth at this point in time. Now, there's two other things we got to talk about. And how you perceive these is really in the eye of the beholder. The first thing is you have a true quarterback battle going on between Graham Mertz, transferred from Wisconsin, and Jack Miller, who transferred from Ohio State, but he's been there now for a full year. Now, the half-empty perception of this could be we brought Graham Mertz from Wisconsin to start and you're telling me he can't beat out Jack Miller now Florida fans those of you that have been really watching your team closely you've seen Jack Miller in a small sample size and you still have more you'd like to see you probably from those what what I guess a spring game and you saw him playing the bowl game you're like man that's not our quarterback okay I hear you you don't have to be a you know you don't have to be excited about what you saw but just trust there's more going on behind closed doors so if you're saying this is a quarterback battle and it shouldn't be, okay, fair, but I would let this thing formulate a little bit more. But that's the half-empty way to look at it. Now, the half-full way to look at it is, okay, great. Open quarterback competition. We're not handing anybody anything. Let's ride. The best player is going to play competition. Iron sharpens iron. We're all for it. Great teams across the country, the ones that play meaningful games, competition is the fuel that leads them forward, if you will, to, to make it sort of poetic in a sense, to be like a little extra dramatic with that. So the quarterback battle is going to rage on. I still expect Graham Mertz to win that job. I think he transferred to Florida for a reason, but they're not going to hand it to him. As a Florida fan, you should be encouraged by that. The other thing we got to talk about, they had a scrimmage this week, and the report out of that scrimmage is it wasn't like one side really dominated. Like there, there was no winner of the scrimmage. Does that make sense? It wasn't one-sided. Now, the half-empty way to look at this is, okay, well, the first scrimmage, the defense should just win it, to be honest with you. Because when you're getting rolling during spring football as an offense, there is so much more you have to worry about. You're going through different reads and different keys and making sure that you have everybody on the same page. And if just one thing goes wrong, whole play is blown up, right? Defensively, you can sort of, hide some some weaknesses a little bit easier hey we got beat on the backside, but that's okay because that was away from the play and nobody even saw that so you would expect the defense to have a w in that first scrimmage and that wasn't the case so you're saying oh man what's going on with our defense are we gonna give up 30 points a game again what's up with austin armstrong how's he calling the defense and there's there's room for a lot of unrest if, if you will in terms of what you think of your team now, the thing that I would say that encourages me, the half-full way to look at this, is there's no weakness that jumped out on either side, right? Because in an SEC environment that a Florida Gator scrimmage would be, if you have any weaknesses or you're just straight up not up to par in any category, that would get exposed. And for there to be good competition, for it to be back and forth, doesn't sound like any weakness is really jumping out just yet. It's far too early to have an absolute take on Florida, what they're going to be offensively or defensively. But to have there be some good back and forth means you have good things and bad things, I guess, on both sides of the ball. The concerning thing is that there was a few more turnovers than you would like, according to Billy Napier. And Graham Mertz has had kind of that, that turnover bug follow him just a little bit from his time at Wisconsin. Jack Miller hasn't been, like I said, sensational. And his one start in spring game you saw from him, 
it's early, okay? I'm not going to worry about the turnovers too much until we get to like that last third of spring practices, until we get to that spring game, all right? Right now, just kind of taking your lumps, figuring it out, and Florida's going to be okay. I really believe they're going to be in a better place in year two than they were in year one, and that's what you should be if your program's headed the right direction. Let's take a look at Tennessee. We're going to have Josh Heupel join the show here in just a few short minutes, but for Tennessee, the mantra I would say right now through spring practice, so far, so good. Right? So far, so good. If you haven't yet got a membership at VolQuest, they're going to keep you in the know. All right, Eric Kane, Austin Price, Brent Hubs, they're going to do the best job in the industry making sure you're up to speed with everything Tennessee football. A couple of guys I want to make sure we highlight through spring practice. Joe Milton, the report on him is he's connected on a few deep balls so far through spring practice. And you already know Joe Milton could throw oranges 110 yards. That's great. But unfortunately, they, they play football with footballs, not oranges. So we're, we're stuck with that kind of situation. But for Joe Milton, he's already connecting on deep balls. And the concern around Joe Milton that people like to throw out is, you know, big arm lacks accuracy at times. Okay, one, didn't see that in the Orange Bowl. Was dialed in. Second, doesn't sound like he's missing deep right now with his, with his deep ball. Okay, I know it's just spring practice, but a good report right now is encouraging. Okay, can we all agree on that? Other thing we're excited about, Ramel Keaton has continued to impress to this point in spring football. Reason why this is important, there's a lot of production to be had now. Cedric Tillman gone to the league. Jalen Hyatt gone to the league. Squirrel White going to be a guy for you this year. Brew McCoy is back. But in order for Tennessee to be as lethal as they were a season ago, why were they so good last year? Had a lot of options on the outside, right? If Jalen Hyatt wasn't able to get free, Cedric Tillman, when he was healthy, he could get free. Brew McCoy, he got, he got open a lot. I mean, for Tennessee, I think Ramel Keaton's going to have to be a guy for you in that wide receiver two, wide, re- wide receiver three sort of spot. And for him to be making some plays to this point, it's encouraging. Again, no absolutes right now for Tennessee, but Ramel Keaton is a standout guy, it sounds like, to this point in the spring. Kind of the same thing we've talked about with defense, Across the board in spring football, it's just too early to really get a gauge. Arian Carter, we talked about it on a previous live show. He's a guy that's flashing right now for them. The young buck really popped off towards the end of his high school career and made a ton of plays for his high school team at a linebacker and running back position, so he's a good athlete. He's a guy they're excited about, but right now it's just going back to the basics for the defense. Getting through their read steps, getting through their fundamentals. That's what spring is for. It's about laying the foundation. And right now, that's what Tennessee is attempting to do on the defensive side of the ball. Because I'll just say this. I believe Tennessee is going to be more than good enough on the offensive side of the ball. Like, I bet they'll be in that 38 to 40 points a game range. That's just how I feel. Now, on defense, if they can just be 5% better, how good could Tennessee be? Right? I mean, the, the, the secondary last year was, if you want to call it the Achilles heel, I don't think anybody would be... You know, super upset with you saying that. That was kind of the weak point of Tennessee's team a season ago. They weren't bad all the time, but they were inconsistent. If they can be consistently 5% better as a unit, Tennessee's going to have a chance now. Tennessee's going to have a chance. So that's sort of the intel we're hearing from Tennessee so far through spring practice. So Florida, Miami, Tennessee, all off and rolling. I promise you we will follow this thing as closely as we can. Make sure you got a membership to Kane Sport, our Miami on three site. Make sure you got a membership to Gators Online, our Florida site. 
and VolQuest, our Tennessee side. They will keep you in the know. Now, another way you can stay in the know is being subscribed to this channel and following along with our live show because Josh Heupel sat down with us and talked through everything going on with his football team. From what he's expecting from Joe Milton 2023, how they're going to call the offense potentially a little bit differently with him, what he's seen from Nico so far. I mean, I don't know if there's been a recruit in recent memory outside of Arch Manning, I suppose, that has come to their school with more fanfare than Nico Iamaliava. Also talked about what they need to do in 2023 to kind of keep their, their own expectations intact. There's, there's a lot of noise around Knoxville right now. A lot of people wanting to feed them a little bit of rat poison. So we asked Josh Heupel, how do you keep your team so level? So without further ado, the man, the myth, the legend, leader of the Tennessee football team, Here's Josh Heupel. And we are now joined by the head man of Tennessee football, Coach Josh Heupel. Coach, it looks like when I'm watching you on the sidelines, your heart rate never gets above resting. Where, where does that come from? And what causes you to be so calm on the sidelines? Uh, I think having played quarterback, uh, understanding that you got to reset every play and the next play is the only one that matters. Understanding that everybody around you is going to feed off of your energy too. Uh, you know, I think that plays a huge part in why I respond the way that I do. But uh, we're very intentional as a staff trying to make sure that, uh, you know, our players are going to notice uh, what we're doing a lot more than even what we're saying. So making sure that we're handling the moment the right way, too. And it's evident when you watch your team, it seems like whether it's good play, or bad play, like there's just never any flinch. And going from 2021 having seven wins to the year you all had this past year, Everyone from the outside looking in is like, it, it's not supposed to happen like this. It's not supposed to be that kind of jump. In your mind, what attributed to that kind of success and that jump from year one to year two for y'all? Well, I think, you know, from the time that we've gotten here, our, our staff has handled it in, in a really great way and uh, not flinching at anything that, that's come at us. And, and that happened in year one. We gained a lot of trust from our players because of it. Uh, our work in year two uh, was different. Uh, our, our guys, and I'm just talking about the extra effort and energy that they put into every single day, how intentional in the way that they worked. Uh, you know, growing in, in our understanding of our schemes in all three phases helped as well. Um, but uh, our connection continued to grow as well. And so uh, we became a, a really mature football team uh, that handled the different situations that inevitably are going to come up in a really positive way. Uh, we were connected. We loved each other and we fought and, and strained for one another as well. And uh, it took a huge jump. And, and uh, you know, for us as a program, uh, we talk a lot about our work habits, uh, building a, an expectation uh, that we're going to find to win the games uh, as long as we prepare the right way. Uh, we've continued to grow this offseason, too. This is uh, becoming a really mature group. Uh, you know, we're essentially a third of the way into spring ball. I love how intentional we've been out on the practice field. Obviously, there's a lot of room for, for growth yet as we go every single day, but uh, excited about this group. And what are some of those areas of opportunity you see so far when it comes to spring football for you and your team? Yeah, for us, we got, you know, close to 30 new guys that are inside of our, our program. And so uh, 18 of those guys uh, being uh, new enrollees, um, we got uh, a lot of opportunity for them to grow in fundamentals technique, but that's everybody inside of our program. Uh, the little things add up to the big things that everybody sees. Uh, we're certainly growing in our schemes, understanding situational football. Uh, we haven't had our first scrimmage yet. Looking forward to that, getting out and, and seeing what game day looks like uh, as our guys get away, our, our coaches get away and, and off on the sidelines, how we handle the situations out on the, on the field. Um, but uh, with that, there's great competition at every single uh, spot as well. 
Uh, we are a much deeper football team. Uh, obviously, there were a lot of guys that left our program before uh, I was hired here. Uh, we've been thin, in particular, on the defensive side of the football. feel like we're, uh, for the first time, really uh, at full strength as far as our, our roster numbers. Uh, like that length, athleticism, and toughness of, of the guys that we have in the program, that's all lended itself to, to great competition in each position room. And culture is a term that you hear a lot of college football fans just kind of throw around. And, you know, we have great culture. We have this. How would you define your culture internally at Tennessee? Yeah, uh, one of, of great accountability and love and respect for each other. We build trust every single day. Uh, it's a, a group and a staff and a program uh, that are fierce competitors that uh, love to compete in everything that they're doing and love to have a lot of fun while we're doing it together. And, and uh, I think you can do those things at a really high level. Uh, you can enjoy the competition and you can enjoy and love the people that you're doing it with. Uh, that's what this group's lived out every single day. And with the success that y'all had last year, obviously, you know, the expectations outside the program grow. How do you handle that pressure when it comes to what you communicate to your team going into this coming season? Yeah, whether they're low expectations or high expectations, uh, our group has not paid attention to the outside noise. Not that you don't hear it, uh, but that's not going to define uh, who we are when we get to, to Saturdays next fall. What defines it is, is our work habits and, and how we compete at everything that we're doing, uh, every rep, every set, uh, every team period. And, and uh, uh, our guys have been uh, really intentional in the way that they've competed. And, and uh, so focus on uh, our process of con continuing to become what you can individually and thus collectively as a unit. And um, we'll be ready for, uh, for next fall. And you've had just a phenomenal quarterback room. It seems like since the time you got to Tennessee from Hendon Hooker to Joe Milton, now having Nico, do you feel like with your playing career and the offense you run, is there an edge for you when it comes to recruiting that position at Tennessee? Well, I, I do think it, it's different for us. Uh, um, you know, me having played the position at a relatively high level, uh, having success, understanding what it looks and feels like, uh, the process that you got to go through to uh, to give that guy the tools to play at a really high level, uh, but also what it feels like during the course of the game and how you handle him during the course of the game and give him an opportunity to be successful. Um, Coach Halsey does a great job with those guys as well. Um, you know, what we've done, uh, the success that we've had offensively and at the quarterback position, uh, you put all of those things together. It gives us an opportunity to recruit at a, at a really high level. I love that they're very competitive uh, in the meeting room, out on the practice field. Uh, they drive each other in a really positive way. They celebrate uh, the great plays from the other guy as much as they do their own plays. Uh, you can build that inside of a quarterback room. You saw the relationship that Hendon and Joe Milton had um, you know, the past couple of years as they were entrenched in the quarterback battle uh, at different points in, in that relationship, but they handled it in a really positive way. Uh, we expect uh, that room to, to continue to behave that way. Yeah, Coach, you said you played at a relatively high level, a Heisman finalist, Big 12 Player of the Year. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, obviously, you said Joe Milton now going to step in and have a chance to be the starter for you all this coming season. How does calling the offense change for you with his skill set compared to a guy like Hannon Hooker? Yeah, we're always different with, with each quarterback uh, subtly in what we do uh, based on the things that they're really comfortable with, uh, that they can uh, operate and process at a really high level. Uh, it's going to change a little bit because of the skill guys and, and, what, and who you are uh, up front as well. So year to year, uh, we continue to grow and evolve. Uh, Joe's got uh, the ability to spray it sideline to sideline and, and vertically down the football field. You saw some of that in, in the bowl game. 
Uh, he's continued to refine his fundamentals from within the pocket. I think that's drastically changed his ability to be accurate um, and, um, you know, really excited about what he's doing right now. My favorite clip was him throwing the orange like 110 yards. I mean, I, 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 that was the most impressive thing to me. I felt bad for the people in the nosebleeds when y'all were celebrating on the stage because they were probably getting hit with oranges. We'll yeah. talk about the next. You day. were you were never out of his uh, his range uh, inside of uh, the stadium there at the Hard Rock. Everybody's in the splash zone, Coach. Talking about Nico Yamaliava, only been on campus for a short period of time. Obviously, I know he was able to be with y'all during the bowl practice. In your estimation, how good can he be at Tennessee? Man. Um, extremely talented uh as talented as anybody that uh, that i've ever been around in my coaching career uh, i love his competitive nature it's extremely important to him he's handled himself very professionally uh the way from the the time that he's gotten here and, and i say that meaning that uh he's typically one of the first guys in the building he's definitely the last one to leave he's spending as much time as anybody in our program uh trying to learn and master his craft uh, his ability to understand his body position, uh, coach it, teach it, and be able to take those coaching points and implement it in, into, into his game uh, from rep to rep and day to day. Uh, really, really impressed with what he's done up until this point and, and uh, feel like he's going to continue to grow and, and uh, be ready to help us uh, go win football games. In the day and age of the transfer portal in modern college football, y'all took nine transfers, but still protecting that culture that y'all have internally. What's the philosophy for you when it comes to the portal? Yeah, um, you know, for, for us, uh, where we were at in our roster, there's essentially two recruiting classes that are basically gone from our roster. And, and so for us being able to, to patch our roster similar, similarly to what uh, junior college recruiting used to be in the past uh, for, for different programs, uh, that's kind of where we were at. And so uh, we were able to add uh, length, athleticism, uh, physicality on, on the front lines, both offensive and defensive lines, uh, but guys that have played some football and, and bring some maturity. Uh, they've handled the transition into our program extremely well. A lot of them were here. I think half of them were here for our bowl preparation. The other half showed up in, in late January when, when we started this past semester. Uh, they've been really good. They've been good out on the practice fields with us. They, they've you know, came in and, and understand uh, now at this point, uh, you know, what it means to be a volunteer. What does it look like every single day? What are the standards uh, that you got to meet to be a part of our program? Uh, really excited about who we've brought in. Now, Coach, last question for you before we get you out of here. We appreciate all your time. There's a video circulating on the Internet of your quarterbacks doing the crossbar challenge from like 35 yards out. If they were to throw you in the mix, as you put it, at a relatively high level, which again, Heisman finalist, Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year, where are you finishing in that group? Well, uh, the first crossbar challenge, the first year that we got here, I walked off with a dub. Uh, Josh Jobs uh, happened to be here as well. I told those guys I'm walking off with the dub, not giving them another chance to, uh, to come back at me. So the undisputed heavyweight champ. Undefeated at Tennessee undefeated coach well, we appreciate it hopefully get down there and be able to see y'all this fall but again thanks for all your time and best luck the rest of the spring i appreciate it go big orange appreciate coach heupel joining us and giving us some insight into what's going down in knoxville what we can expect from his recruiting class with nico yamaliava with new 2023 i'm telling you man tennessee it's on fire right now okay and they're going to have a lot of opportunity to make good on what they did in 2022 and carry that momentum into 2023, both on the recruiting trail, on the field. I mean, I'm fired up. I hope we get out to a game in Knoxville this season, Nick, because that would be an absolute blast. Okay.
So switching gears here a little bit. Deuce Robinson, five-star tight end, is still uncommitted. We'll make his decision tonight. It's down to Georgia. It's down to USC. It's down to Texas. All registering on the RPM. To break it all down, the GOAT of recruiting, national recruiting analyst for On3, we are now joined by Josh Newberg. Josh, how we doing, my man? It's great to be back on the hard count talking a little recruiting with you, J.D. We thought it was over. We thought it was thought the 2023 cycle kind of had a bow on it. You and I shook hands on signing day, said, hey, good work, brother, on to 2024. But Deuce Robinson, the Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend. Going to decide tonight. Like I just said, the RPM right now has 78% USC, 11% Texas, 8% Georgia. Josh, I'll tee it up for you like this. Are you trusting the RPM in terms of leaning so hard towards USC right now? I am trusting the RPM because if you followed the RPM, you would understand what's happening. Heading into the month of January, UGA was trending. USC was behind in second place. Texas was actually gaining some ground as well, too. But then Deuce kind of just shut it all down. Uh, he was taking visits throughout the spring, definitely in the summer. But then when the new year came, it seemed like he was gearing up for a February decision. He doesn't take any visits in January. February signing day comes and goes. As you know, we were sitting there at that desk waiting for some news on Deuce Robinson. He delayed his recruitment. He didn't say when exactly he was going to sign, but he, did, he said he was going to decline to sign on National Signing Day. Well, today's the day. Following the visits, there were none. I always say follow the visits, but there were none. And I think if he would have made it to UGA in January, then maybe we'd be talking a little bit differently when it comes to the recruiting prediction machine. But in this case, it's showing a strong lean to USC, and that's ultimately where I believe he's going to sign today. And it's interesting because when you talk about Georgia in his recruitment, at one point it felt like they were the team to beat, right? I mean, it felt like they were kind of – about to close the deal with him, and maybe if he committed in February, they would be the school. Why, in your opinion, did Georgia sort of fade down the stretch here in relation to the RPM? Yeah, I don't know if it was, you know, what I think it was is relationships. Hmm. When it comes to making a decision, if you're a high school prospect, a lot of the times, especially if you're a national prospect, yeah, you're considering teams from coast to coast. But when pen meets paper and you are going to go to the school that you're going to be at for the next three, four, five years – Relationships matter. Not just the relationship he had with Lincoln Riley. There's a relationship with Malachi Nelson, Zachariah Branch, Hmm. Makai Lemon. Some of the studs that are signing with USC in the 2023 class, he also has a great relationship with. Uh, Elijah Page, his teammate there in Arizona, signed and enrolled at USC. He's an offensive tackle. So there's just so many personal ties. Also, uh, it's a West Coast team. He's out in Phoenix, Arizona. A lot of the times we know this covering recruiting, but it's a regional, it's it, it's a regional recruitment a lot of the times, and that's what we're seeing. He's going to settle in and most likely end up picking USC over UGA. But hey, JD, let's not feel bad for Georgia. They signed two tight ends already in the 23 class. This would have been their third. Pierce Sperlin and Lawson Lucky, great physical pass catching tight ends. Georgia's going to be just fine. Oh, I was going to say, how big a statement is this for Lincoln Riley? I mean, Kirby Smart, back-to-back national titles. Like you said, they've kind of been tight end you with Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington, and now I have an Oscar Delp. Like, how much of a statement is this for Lincoln Riley if they do land a guy like Deuce Robinson tonight? The statement will primarily be made on the field. Six foot six, 225 pounds. 
Deuce Robinson can do it all. You need, it's third and seven. You got to go over the middle. You got Deuce Robinson. You want a mismatch on the outside. You got Deuce Robinson. You need a big man in there to block. You got Deuce Robinson. So ultimately the impact on this one will be felt on the field. This is nothing new for USC. They sign five-star prospects all the time. So this is a, a big pickup, but it's not earth shattering. However, what Deuce brings to the football field he is a difference maker. He's a mismatch problem, and Lincoln Riley will have no problem incorporating him into that offense. I was watching his tape as we were getting ready for this segment. A lot of recruits, they'll like highlight themselves with the huddle tool and say, hey, here I am, coach. Make sure you're watching me during this play. Deuce Robinson doesn't do that on the tape that I saw, at least, and it didn't matter because he's just like dwarfing everybody else that he's lining up against. Like there, There's 21 guys, and there's Deuce Robinson. You could pick out pretty quickly uh, who he was. Now, obviously, baseball with Deuce Robinson is a factor. Some people are saying that had something to do with him deciding when he's going to decide. Will he be a guy we see on, on the baseball diamond for USC as well? I think we will. Yeah. He has a good relationship there with the first-year head coach of the USC baseball team. They've been recruiting him. It is absolutely a factor. I don't know necessarily how it played into him picking USC necessarily over Georgia, but yes, I do expect that we see him on the, fo on the football field and on the baseball diamond for USC. How shocked would you be if he doesn't pick USC tonight, Josh? It'd be pretty shocking. Um, if he picked Georgia, yeah, I would be surprised. It just, it, you know, it doesn't seem, everybody I talk to, nobody's here anticipating a Georgia decision. But the way that Deuce Robinson has played this recruitment, um, from that aspect, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. Everything he's kind of done, you don't know his next move until he makes it. Like when he announced that he was going to pass on signing on the early on the early and then the late signing day, he just kind of dances to his own beat, which there's nothing wrong with that. When you're the number 23 ranked player overall, you can kind of pull your own punches. And we're seeing Deuce Robinson take his recruitment down to the end at his own pace, on his own time, and make his own decision. And you got to respect that. You said it regionally. That's kind of a, a thing that we keep hearing with kids, where, depending on where they end up committing. I mean, USC is obviously a national brand. They're, they're recruiting nationally really well, but... It sounds like with him being from Phoenix, USC being close to home, you think that was kind of what, what sealed the deal? Yeah, he spent time in Texas. He, he lives in Arizona. Um, I think regionally, yes, but also those what comes with regional recruitments is regional relationships. Hmm. So you kind of see a lot of the guys that he was on the 7-on-7 seven -seven circuit with or the camp circuit. So, so many great players that he crossed paths with over the last three or four years. Well, that, that was mostly on the West Coast, on the, on the West side. So now you're going to see him develop these relationships. He has a lot of friends on the USC roster, and it just makes a lot of sense for him. Last question for you, Josh. Texas is sitting there in the two spot, according mm -hmm. to the RPM. How do they factor into this thing? I know Georgia was kind of the leader in the clubhouse for a while. Now it's USC. Is Texas a factor at all here as we come down to the final hours of Deuce Robinson's recruitment? They're a factor. But I don't expect them to land them. Sure. But Texas was the last team to get him on campus. He made a November official visit to Austin. That was the last official visit he made. But in this case, I think it's too far in the rear view to really have a, a real impact. I mean, we're talking about November of 22. Now we're in March, almost April of 23. And all signs point to USC. 
Makes sense. Well, we will wait with bated breath a few hours now. If you listen on podcast, you already know where Deuce Robinson is going likely. But Josh, appreciate your time, man. Appreciate you dropping some knowledge on us. And we will uh, look forward to seeing where Deuce Robinson ends up. Hey, thanks for an opportunity to come on the hard count. The man, the myth, the legend, Josh Newberg. Josh, I guess I'll see you back up in the office. But appreciate Josh coming down and uh, just, like I said, dropping some knowledge on the good people at home. All things recruiting. Make sure you're watching his show, The Inside Scoop, right here on the On3 YouTube channel. We'll keep you in the know for all things recruiting. Like I said, if you're listening on podcast, especially if you're listening on a Friday, Deuce Robinson has announced where he's going. So listen to that segment as you will. Now, college football is a pressure cooker unlike any other sport. It's so year to year in regards to what you expect from your team and what you expect from your head coach. I mean, we're already talking about Billy Napier at Florida and people are saying, well, he's not the right guy. And I'm like, it's been 13 games. Can we all just take a beat? So that got me thinking, which programs do we need to take a closer look at in terms of the pressure that's surrounding them right now? I think there's a couple of spots across the country that are feeling the pressure maybe a little bit more than some of the others. First school that comes to mind is LSU. And you're saying, J.D., LSU went to the SEC title game a season ago. What are you talking about? If you were to buy a Christmas present for your wife the very first year y'all are married, you don't buy her a car the very first year. You want to know why? Because every single Christmas after that, it's just going to be a disappointment because you didn't get her a car the next year and the next year and the next year. That's kind of how it feels for me with LSU and Brian Kelly. They won double-digit football games in 2023 and went to the SEC title game in Atlanta against Georgia. Before the year, the over-under win total on them was seven games. The year before, they won six games before Brian Kelly got there. And so what should have happened if you're using logic and college football defies logic and why we love it, it should have been a slow progression, a slow maturation. Maybe they win seven games. Maybe they win eight games in year two or three. Maybe they compete for an SEC kind of season they had last year, SEC title kind of season. If they don't play for an SEC title, and if they don't win double-digit games in 2023, I would just say this to LSU fans. Do not freak out. You saw the proof in the pudding. You saw the proof in his process in 2022. Don't freak out, okay? Don't, don't lose your cool if you don't have the kind of year you had in 2022. So I think there's pressure on Brian Kelly now to be, okay, great. The, the process is already in place. We're sort of ready-made, microwavable, ready to go. This is how it is every single year now under, under Brian Kelly. Remember, they had four games that were decided by one score. They were 3-1 and one in those games. If any number of those games swing a different way, LSU probably isn't playing for an SEC title. All right, still a really good team. You have the right guy at head coach. Your, your program is fixed at LSU, okay? You're going to win a whole lot of games in the coming years. But if you don't play for an SEC title in 2023, it's okay. You have bought into the process that is Brian Kelly. You got a car the first year for Christmas in the marriage, all right? You got a car year one. Will you get a car year two, year three, year four? It's asking a lot of anybody in any relationship, especially a head coach and a school like LSU, where they have the resources, they have the access to talent, like Brian Kelly said when he came on this very show. It was appealing for why he went to LSU. But for LSU, a lot of pressure, as it is when you coach in Baton Rouge. But let's all hold our horses just a little bit if things don't go how they did in 2022 and 2023. Make sure you're subscribed to the On3 YouTube channel. We talk college football here every single day. You're a junkie just like us, and we love you all for it, okay? I say subscribe because it just helps us get a better gauge for the analytics that you want to see. 
and it helps us do more of that. Okay, so thank you. Also, follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram, at J.D. Pakel. You know another school that has a lot of pressure? How about USC and Lincoln Riley? And you're saying the same thing you just told me a second ago of, okay, well, I hear you, J.D., but they played for a Pac-12 title, and they played for a New Year's Six Bowl. Before that, they won like four games before Lincoln Riley got there. How are you telling me there's pressure on USC? It's not hot seat pressure. It is pressure to make good on your potential you have on your roster right now. Because who do you have on the roster right now at USC? You have a generational talent in Caleb Williams. Generational talents at quarterback don't just come through your door every other day. I don't care how great a quarterback whisperer Lincoln Riley is. He's had some good ones. Caleb Williams, I think, could go down as the best. So here's why there's pressure. You have the quarterback, the once-in-a-generation quarterback in Caleb Williams. Do you have the other pieces to go with him? Because Caleb Williams, in my estimation, is good enough to beat Utah. He's good enough to beat Tulane. The offense put up a bunch of points against Tulane. That wasn't why you lost. The reason why there's pressure on USC is you have one more year with Caleb Williams. Do you have a defense to help him out? Do you have an offensive line to support him in 2023 after you lose a couple pieces? There's pressure because when he leaves for the NFL, there is no telling what the future looks like. And I'm not saying they don't have phenomenal talents in that quarterback room. I'm just saying they're unproven. Even if they do land the guy like Dylan Rayola, even if Malachi Nelson is all that we think he could be, it's still not Caleb Williams. And Caleb Williams is so good if you don't support him with the right supporting cast and you don't put it together this year, that window closes because he's gone to the league after this year, okay? That's just the reality. He's gone to the NFL, going to make a whole lot of money. Even the NL is good in USC, I'm pretty sure. I would imagine based on tracking his social media and seeing the ads he posts and seeing him doing the, the catwalk at fashion shows, it's not comparing to the NFL money. He's gone after this year. Can you make it happen this year? You can't allow 30 points a game like you did last year. You can't allow 160 rush yards a game like you did last year defensively. Alex Grinch, brother, the ball is in your court. You got one year with USC. The time is now. Outside of that, that window closes. A new one probably opens, and you, you, know, you kind of figure out what you want to do forward. I'm not saying Lincoln Riley can't still do everything they want to do at USC, but you have the most important, most difficult piece to acquire at the quarterback position with Caleb Williams. Now, Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley came from Oklahoma. Ironically enough, they're another team that I think has a ton of pressure on them. Another first-year coach. Last season, we got three coaches that all just had their first year already having pressure their second year. It's the way college football is, man. The pressure on Oklahoma is very much around optics. Because remember, they leave to the SEC next season. They won six games this past year. Went toe-to-toe -to -toe with a top-10 team in Florida State in their bowl game, but they only won six ball games. The concern is if you have another subpar year in 2023, what am I buying into as a recruit? Because Brent Venables, as phenomenal of a coach as he is, he's never been a head coach before this past season. And so if I'm a recruit, I'm saying, okay, you're headed to the SEC, and I have a head coach who, let's say, let's say they win seven games next year. I'm buying into a head coach that won six games and then seven games. Why am I committing to Oklahoma? Now, there's a lot of other reasons to commit to Oklahoma, but I'm just saying with who you have to compete with for some of the top recruits in the country to win how you want to in the SEC, there's a lot of pressure. Now, if they win, let's say, double-digit games or they go and win a New Year's Six Bowl or whatever it ends up being, then the whole conversation changes. Then you see the trajectory of Brent Venables at Oklahoma. Then you see where this thing is headed. Give me something to buy into if I'm a recruit for you. 
Give me something to get excited about. Give me some skins on the wall. That's what I need at Oklahoma in 2023. Full transparency, I believe they can do it. I think Brent Venables is about all of the right things. Toughness, culture, physicality on the defensive side of the ball. Like They're going to get this thing headed the right direction, but in year two, Two, in 2023, it has to happen now. I need something to buy into on the recruiting trail. So that's what I'm looking at with Oklahoma. Now, the last thing we want to talk about is the Michigan State Spartans. Team we haven't talked about a ton on this show, but 2022 for them was kind of like a record scratch year. Because remember, Mel Tucker, they went 11-2 and in 2021, got a 10-year, $95 million deal. You felt phenomenal in East Lansing. You're like, okay, the future is bright. Just beat Penn State. Just beat Michigan. Played the New Year's Six Bowl. Like, we're rolling now, okay? Tuck coming, baby. And then 2022 comes around, you go five and seven. Er, that's my record scratch sound for those of you that listen on podcasts. Er, it's not okay to go five and seven after you won 11 games a season ago. You lost Kenneth Walker. You lost some other pieces. But the way in which you lost some of these teams that you had beaten the year before is not okay. Lost to Penn State, badly. Lost to Michigan, badly. Lost to Ohio State, again, badly. There's pressure now on Mel Tucker going into year four because he had the COVID year, which still counts, going into year four now for Mel Tucker. What are we as a team at Michigan State? Because we just paid you a ton. We felt phenomenal about where we were headed a season ago. We just paid you the bag, and now we're having to sort of gather our our bearings, if you will. Like, now we're just sort of confused about what's going on. It's like when you're driving a car on vacation, and you're packed, you're stoked about where you're headed, probably a beautiful beachfront property, and you're juiced up about it, and then you get a flat tire on the way there. Car breaks down on the way there, whatever it is. The first thought is, can we fix this? Is this a bump in the road, or is this like, oh, no, we made a mistake. We, we're not getting there. We're not getting to where we want to go. You paid them a lot. You packed your bags. And far be it for me to say that more money for a coach equates to better results. That's not the case. You paid Mel Tucker for the trajectory. The trajectory, after you paid him, is he won five games. There's a lot going on at Michigan State. There's a lot more to it than meets the eye. I understand that. I'm not saying you shouldn't have paid him, but I am saying there's a lot of pressure to pick up the pieces, well, pick up the pieces and make some things happen in 2023. For those of you listening on podcast, I just slapped my notebook across the table here, but the party rolls on. So LSU, USC, Oklahoma, Michigan State, all facing pressure to perform in 2023. It's not hot seat pressure, but it is pressure to get the job done and deliver on some results. It's the beautiful thing of college football, man. Year one, that's great. But year two, we, we expect something else. We expect some progression. And a lot of year two coaches on this list. And then Mel Tucker from Michigan State heading into year four. That's why we love college football, man. Now, I post a question on my Twitter page, and y'all make sure you're following me there to contribute to this conversation. I want to hear from y'all. want to have some interaction. That's what makes this so beautiful. Ask y'all a question. I said, what are you concerned about with your team heading into spring practice? Because we all got them. We all got concerns. That's fair. Let's talk about it. Let's have an open discussion. College football therapy, if you will. So now to break those all down, we bring on the keeper of the queue, your mother's favorite producer, Nick Heavylifter Break. Nick, how we doing, big dog? What's up, JD? It's good to see you, man. What's happening, man? You're looking fresh. Well, thank you. Um, 
Good day. Is that, uh, is that a cream? Cream uh, polo? I think so. The people so. people on podcast are missing out, man. I'll just say that. It's matching I'll just say that. Wall, so I kind of blend in a little bit over here. You look good. Um, well, thank you, sir. Uh, first question. This is coming from Double B. Can we take a step from practice champs and win some close games? He's referring to his Nebraska Cornhuskers. Yep. Do a bit of digging there. But, yep. Uh, so can Nebraska uh, stop being good in practice and actually just win some games, J.D.? Nick, first Compliments to you on the detective work to find out which team he was talking about. Phenomenal. Second thing I would Thank say you. is to, to kind of set the scene for you. Nebraska, the last two years under Scott Frost and this past year under Mickey Joseph, they lost like double-digit games by one score. And so that tells me, okay, if we're losing games by one score, the, the close game just continues to not go our way. We have a trouble with finishing. That's, that's our issue. We can't finish the game. And when I talk about finishing games, I'm talking about culture. And culture is a buzzword. It gets used far too much, but it is true. Culture shows itself in the fourth quarter of football games when the game is on the line. we got to pick up a first down to put it away. we got to get a stop to, to make sure we can you know, get the ball back for our offense and have a chance to keep this thing alive. Like To come up time and time again on the losing side of that, I think, again, is a culture thing. Now, the good news for Nebraska is I believe you have a culture savant in Matt Rule. We already talked about it with spring practice, with what they're doing. They're checking their mouthpiece when they get to practice. They're checking in for practice. They're making sure their jersey is covering all their pads. You say, well, why are they doing that? That sounds kind of, kind of pointless, kind of like a waste of time. I mean, I, I get accountability is a good thing, but kind of sounds like we could be using our resources for a more efficient thing. Hear you, but here's the deal. The details... The little things, they add up to the big things. And if I can trust you to bring the right mouthpiece, I can trust you to check into practice on time, I can trust you to make sure you're wearing your jersey properly, I can then trust you to run the right route on fourth and one when we got to beat Iowa. Okay, so what I'm saying here is the culture is in the little things, and Matt Rule specializes in the little things. So will it happen year one? I've, I've said this before. I don't know that I'm putting the, the bank on Matt Rule, Nebraska, to go and win the Big Ten in year one. But I would tell you the process he's going to put in place there, the way they're going to recruit, the way they're going to play in the trenches, Nebraska is absolutely headed the right direction. You've heard that a lot as a Nebraska fan. I, I mean, you, you, I feel you've had your heart broken, but I fully believe Nebraska has got the right guy to help them win those close games in the future. Nick, that was a very long answer for you. But yes, to answer our, our friend quite simply, yes, I do believe they can teaser. take that yeah, next step. Thank you very much. Thank you very much uh, for asking. Uh, and a great answer, J.D. Next question. Uh, Jesse Keller says the Oregon Ducks in the secondary are the concern uh, up, in, uh, up in Oregon. Yeah, man. Last year it was, it was, not, a, it was not a pretty sight always for the Oregon Ducks. Really, they, they were statistically just kind of bad all year which is unfortunate because you had the quarterback. I think you had the running game. There's a lot of things that you had that were going your way. If you're an Oregon Duck fan a season ago, I think you got the right head coach, but the secondary has to take the next step. To be honest with you, I think that that kind of is, is, is what kept them out of the college football playoff. Like losing the game to Washington, that did them in. Michael Penix Jr. led the country in passing a season ago. He, he put a pretty healthy resume on tape against Oregon. I'll just say that. Like he... That when the NFL scouts go and watch Michael Penix Jr., they'll flip on that Oregon game and say, okay, we can work with this. So that's the, the issue that you're obviously speaking to. 
But my, my answer to that would be Dan Lanning's a defensive guy. His attention, his pride will be on the defensive side of the football. They've already done some things in the portal. I believe they got three different defensive backs of the 10 transfers they took. So they understand personnel is not where it needs to be. Schematically, we got to be better. Dan Lanning's going to have a hand in both of those. I think it's going to be a process, but I do believe the secondary will be improved just based on the fact that Dan Lanning cares too much about the defense to let it stay the same. But yes, a great question, Jesse, and I do believe that your Ducks secondary will slowly but surely improve. Okay. It may, may not be a huge jump in year two, but I think it'll be better. Okay, uh, next question, J.D. Donald, as usual for the Canes, it's receivers and linebackers. Is this Donald, Donald no duck, I'm imagining. This is not Donald. <laughs> it's not Oregon Ducks hey, man. anymore. Low-hanging low fruit. <laughs> Donald, appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate you asking questions at the show. I actually talked to some people about this close to Miami. This is one area you can expect Miami to be active in the transfer portal post-spring. It's just a second window that opens up, May 1st to May 15th, a little two-week window. You can go and get what you need that you didn't have during spring practice. It sounds like right now Miami is still waiting for someone to step into that alpha role as a playmaker at wide receiver. Again, they keep things pretty close to the vest in terms of what they do behind closed doors during spring practice. So there could be somebody just balling out and we don't know about it. But the feeling is they will go and try and at least find a playmaker at wide receiver post-spring. I don't think you just go and get a guy to add depth and, and, and add numbers, but I do think if they can find someone who can be like an alpha wide receiver, whether it's someone from the FCS level that's maybe – like a Juice Wells from JMU that they felt really good about going to South Carolina. Like that would be the perfect scenario if you can find someone like that who jumps in the portal. So keep an eye on that. But yes, I, I do believe that they are going to try and remedy that situation at wide receiver. And then obviously the, the, the defense as a whole is just going to be a work in progress. So Canes mm -hmm. will be a player post spring in the portal. Believe you me. Okay, J.D., uh, well, since today's the Tennessee day with um, having Coach Heupel on, mm. uh, I know you talked about Spring Intel, you talked about their defense, but is there a spot there that you have any concerns for for the fans watching? Because I know most of our audience today are uh, from our neck of the woods right here in, uh, in Tennessee. So what, what would you say? Yeah, shout out to the good people from Knoxville watching the show right now. Make sure you are subscribed. But I would say this, the concern for y'all is likely in the, in the back end, right? Like you want to see just more consistency. It's not that they can't do it. You and I have both seen it. We saw them give Cade Klubnik fits. We saw them intercepts Drake May. We saw them do a lot of good things against good quarterbacks, but it was consistency. Consistency is kind of that next step. So you would hope that there is some continuity in terms of being able to carry some of that progress on tape to 2023. But I mean, let's say this, the, the front seven, the front six, if you will, front six or seven, whatever the look looks like, they were pretty solid last year. They could stop the run. They got to the quarterback, did a lot of really good things in the trenches. But the back end, you and I both know that's going to be the difference maker for your Tennessee Volunteers. I believe they have a lot of the right personnel. I'll be curious to see how much do they go into the portal post-spring. Because if you're going to the portal post-spring, that means you saw 15 practices, you saw the spring game, and you said, nope, we're not good enough. And nope, and, and not a nope, we're not good enough in the sense that, hey, give this guy some time. He needs to develop more. It's like, coach, we don't have the guys to play the defense you're asking us to play. That would be something I would watch for. So if they're active post-spring in the portal, in the secondary, just know that it didn't go great on the back end for Tennessee. I'm not saying that's going to be the case. I'm just saying keep an eye on that because that will tell you the confidence level, in my estimation, of where Tennessee's at 
in the secondary. But a great question, Nick, and we appreciate all the Vol mm -hmm. fans that are tuned in right now to see their yep. coach, Heupel. And, uh, yeah, man, make sure you subscribe. We've got a lot ahead of us. We'll talk Tennessee for sure this offseason and well into spring football and, and, and media days. I mean, it's going to be a blast, so make sure you're locked in. Yep, okay. Good deal. Well, Nick, appreciate it, man. Dude, as always, I'll see you Tuesday, and uh, thanks to my friend Trey alongside me here in the studio. Beautiful. Dynamic duo in the studio. we got Trey Yannity joining the hard count right now for us, helping the heavy lifting with him and Nick Brake, just tag-teaming. It's a real good system, man. I'm just telling you. There's a, there's a palpable buzz in the air in the studio for us here at the hard count. Well, y'all, we appreciate you rocking with us, man. This is an absolute blast. We do not take for granted one minute what we get to do. And I would also say this, these head coaches we've been able to have on the show, we're so grateful they've come on, but they're not coming on the show for a show that gets 100 views or 200 views, whatever it ends up being. The demand that y'all have created for these head coaches to join the show, hats off to y'all because y'all have made this happen, okay? So we appreciate you for that. We will be back on the air on Tuesday. Make sure you're locked in, subscribe, all that. I promise you, you won't regret it. We appreciate y'all, man. We love y'all. Shout out to the podcast on Apple and Spotify, wherever you get them. We're going to keep the party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.